text that we used for the day, Luke 5, 36 through 39, for the series actually. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. Now I realize that this culture that we live in today is not in any way probably identifying with this scripture because when we get a hole uh, in our pants, you know, on the knees and stuff, we take them to J.C. Penney's and sell them for a profit. <laughs> we don't mend things anymore. We just we toss them and we go get something else. Uh, we also don't have skins that we put fermented drinks in. Uh, we, everything comes in bottles, but the reality is I remember growing up and you had an issue going on. When I went to Mexico, not so much here in the States, but when I went to Mexico, if you had a problem, they would sew it up. In fact, my mom taught me how to sew, you know, for, uh, and when I went to college, you know, if I needed to, I could sew. And y'all might be saying to yourself, what is that? Well, you know, that's when you actually fix something that's broken. Um, and uh, so I remember that. I remember growing up thinking about that. But today, pretty much, if we, if we don't have something, uh, we just, th- everything is, is cheap enough for most of us in our culture where you can go down to Walmart and you can get another t-shirt for, for $12, $15, whatever the case may be. So anyway, um, this may not necessarily resonate with all of us, but it's still applicable. The truth that's found in it is still important for us to understand. There is new wine that Jesus is wanting to pour into the church, and new wine is uh, 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 in the natural, it ferments. And when it ferments, it needs to stretch whatever container it's in. It's kind of like me after I've had lunch. I need to have elastic in my band so that I can stretch, otherwise I suffer quite a bit, you know, so I pretty much buy stretchy pants, you know, uh, it's what I do. So, <laughs> in order to embrace the moving of the Spirit of God, which he describes as new wine, we can't be rigid in the way that we approach life. We can't be rigid in our mindsets. We can't be rigid in traditional ways of thinking and doing things that we've been accustomed to. We must be moldable and stretchable to embrace this new wine, which is really a way of talking about the move of God that he's going to be pouring out and is pouring out in our midst. For instance, even here this morning, uh, the normal way of doing things is you worship, you have announcements, you have the sermon, and then you pray for people at the end. That's just kind of the way we've always done it. But hey, though I felt like the Lord said, pray for people now. Now, did I get it right? I don't know, but I felt like it was the Lord, so we go ahead and do it, you know, and say, well, that's not normal. That's not traditional. That's the whole point. We're not trying to be normal, traditional. We're trying to follow what God is doing. Amen. Amen. So uh, probably more in line with how we do things, we might, we might say it this way. When God's going to do something, we've got to be willing to get a new coat if we're going to go with that metaphor. The older coat was good for its day, but will not suffice for the promised new season. In order to, to flow with the new season, we've got to get a new coat that's compatible with the season that's coming. We're not necessarily talking about the changing the essence of who we are, but changing the manifestation of who we are to keep up with what God is 
doing. Now, here's the thing. In the natural way of doing things, when the season changes, then we change our clothes, right? But in the kingdom of God, it works differently. In the kingdom of God, when God says the season is changing, we change our clothes whether or not the season has changed in our uh, uh, natural uh, timing. Uh, if we don't change our clothes, we're not going to see a change of season. Because faith believes God. That's what it does. Faith believes God, believes what God says, and begins to live out what God says before what God says manifests. And it's actually your faith and willingness to do what God says before you see the manifestation of what God says is going to happen that actually brings forth what God says is going to happen. That's what faith is. He said, well, you're, a little, you're a little nutsy. No, I'm biblical. By the way, when we say this is the word of God, and whatever, we're not saying that you have to accept everything that I say. What, what I say needs to be compatible with this. And so what we hope you'll do, because this is the most important thing, is you'll take the word of God and you'll evaluate what I say and see whether or not it matches here. And by the way, sometimes we do read with old lenses. And what I say may not necessarily match what you think the Word of God says, but God oftentimes will show you something new out of the same Word that you've been reading the whole time. And to be moldable and stretchable means to allow God to show you something different about what you're reading. Okay? Not change what the Bible says, but maybe show you a different way of understanding it. So this week, we've been going through, the, we went through the first week through the word new. We took the, the word letters in that word N-E-W. We, we uh, made a, a, an outline out of it. And then in the next couple of weeks, uh, we began with the word season. We looked at the, the importance of the spiritual. What is the spirit emphasizing? How, what is the spirit's assessment? And today we're on that letter S. And we're going to be looking at the subject of the Spirit's sustenance. Sustenance. Matthew 4, 1 through 4. This is the text for today. We have the text for the series. This is the text for today. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So what does the word sustenance mean? It is anything used as a means of sustaining or supporting life or health. It is nourishment, especially food and drink. Humans were actually created by God with the need for sustenance, with the need to eat and to replenish themselves. Even back in the Garden of Eden, when there was no sin, God said, I've given you all these trees for sustenance. In Genesis 1, 27 through 29, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So God created us 
with the uh, intention of us replenishing our uh, uh, energy through sustenance, through food. Now, with that in mind, I want us to understand that the word itself, according to our text, is sustenance. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So you might say to yourself, the word is sustenance, right? The Spirit, how many of you know, is the author of the Word, and to truly understand and apply it, the author, who is still with us, by the way, is the one who breathes on it and causes it to become sustenance to us. First of all, we are born of the Spirit. Remember I said the Spirit of God is still with us? We are born of the Spirit. John 3 and 5, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. By the way, if you're new here this morning, we welcome you. We thank you for coming. We want you to be a part of who we are. But if you just come in and join and sign a membership row or take a membership class and you're never born again, well, you can come and attend, but you're really not a part of the church. See, we're not interested in you becoming part of this church. We're interested in part of you becoming part of the church, his church. How do I become a part of the church? Well, you can become a part of the church by attending here. You can become a part of the church by attending somewhere else. But going to a church doesn't make you a part of the church. You can go to church all your life and still end up in hell. Well, how? I'm on the membership role. Because it's not being part of a membership role. It's being born again. It's recognizing that in the eyes of God, every one of us was born separated from God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, right? Separation from God. So how do I come into relationship with God? You've got to accept the work that Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, recognize that you're lost, call on Him as a Savior. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And what happens when you call on Him as a Savior? You become born again. When you become born again, the Spirit of God actually comes and lives inside of you. In John 20, 22, he says, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. When you're born again, whether you were, it's the disciples back then or us today, the Spirit of God comes and indwells us and we become temples or houses of the living God. God actually lives inside of us. Now listen, I, my family thinks I'm a little bit weird, but I actually love to think about the immenseness of the universe. I started memorizing some figures, and so I want to I go with that, see if I can do it here this morning. Um, in this universe that we live in, we live in a galaxy called the Milky Way. Now, the, the, there are within this Milky Way, you know, we have a sun. But did you know that there are somewhere between 200 and 400 billion suns in the Milky Way? Not thousands, not millions, but billions, right? And it takes a hundred thousand light years to get from one side of the Milky Way to the other side of the Milky Way. Now, how, much, how far is a light year? I, they, somebody said it was like six trillion miles. But basically, if you travel at the speed of light for one year, that is a light year. One hundred thousand light years to get across the Milky Way, which is a galaxy. Now, to get to the next galaxy, it takes two and a half million light years. And that galaxy is called the Andromeda Galaxy. In the Andromeda Galaxy, there are one trillion suns. 
and it takes two trillion years to get across the Andromeda galaxy. You might say, man, the universe is huge. But wait, I haven't finished yet. There are trillions, not of suns, but of galaxies in the observable universe. I've only given you two. There are trillions of galaxies in the observable universe. And that's the observable universe. Astronomers believe there are two-thirds of the universe we will never be able to see. Why do I give you all these figures? Because God holds the universe in the palm of his hands. And that God has chosen to live inside of us. Do you think God is limited in power? No. But through the Spirit of God, He's also given us power. He says in Acts 1 and 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so, we are born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, but we are also instruments of the Spirit. 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, my desire as a preacher, but also all of us should have this desire, is not that we just talk, not that I just give you a good presentation, but I'm actually being used as an instrument of the Holy Spirit. It's my desire. I actually got saved because the preacher was being used as an instrument of the Holy Spirit. When I first went to church, I would, feel the, I would feel something tugging at my heart. I had no culture. I had no church culture. I had no church vocabulary. I didn't have any of that. All I know is when I went to church and I heard the Word of God, I felt the pulling in my heart, a pulling in my heart, a pulling in my heart. Now I know it's the witness of the Holy Spirit saying what that person is telling you is the truth and the Holy God giving witness to the Word of God. But I didn't know that back then. But the Holy Spirit was pulling on my heart, pulling on my heart, pulling on my heart, you know. And uh, He was using... Uh, through the foolishness of preaching, he was using the Word of God to convict my heart and, re and help me to understand. Not to condemn. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Right. To convict means to recognize that I fall short in a certain area. To condemn means you, you're no good because you fall short in a, in a certain area. God didn't come to condemn us. He came to lift us up. But you can't lift somebody up that doesn't realize they need something in life. And so we've got to recognize we're poor in spirit because when we recognize we're lost and poor in spirit, then ours is the kingdom of God. We can reach out to what he's made available to us. If we think we're good, we don't need anything. In fact, that's what happened when I got saved. My parents, my, actually it was my dad and some people around me, I said, well, it's because you need a crutch. That's why you got saved. Well, the reality is I did. <laughs> what the, the sad part is you don't recognize that you need one too. If you don't recognize you're lame, you'll never go get some help. We got to recognize we're lost so that we can call on the one that can save us. Amen? So thus we see how the Spirit through people authored the Word, and now the same Spirit in us and upon us breathes on the Word to nourish us, to sustain us. The Word imparts sustenance. Ezekiel 3, 1 through 3, there's a good picture of that. And the Bible says, He said to me, Ezekiel, son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. He was having a vision. He wasn't eating a literal scroll. You know, he was having a vision. And so, he, so I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. 
And what was written on the scroll was the word of God. But anyway, it says, he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. And then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. So we see that when we're talking about the Spirit's sustenance, what we want to understand is that the Word of God, that the Spirit of God is revealing to us that the Spirit is wanting us to receive it and eat it, and when we receive it and feed on it, that's what gives us life. You say, well, how do I eat the Word of God? You read it, you believe it, and it becomes your sustenance. This morning, I don't know if you ever have issues. This morning, I was thinking about things that weren't happening in my life. And it's an attack of the enemy. That's all it is. Oh, this is not happening. This is not happening. This is not happening. And it's kind of like discouragement. All this wants to hit you. And I just said, no, that's not the word of, what the Word of God teaches. The Word of God teaches me different. The Word of God, you know, I, I said, I will see the Word of God manifest. And this is what I'm saying in my head. And sometimes I even say it out loud. And this is what you need to learn how to say. I am going to see the fulfillment of what God has told me. By his stripes, I am healed. Uh, I had a prophetic word that says that I, um, uh, uh, what, what is it? Uh, to the one who fears your name, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings and I will go forth like a cap leafing from his stall. I will receive the full manifestation of my healing. I began to quote, my children will serve God with me in ministry. They're here this morning, but I, this is what the Lord spoke to me. Uh, my son-in-laws will be better to me than if I had my own sons. Sometimes they tell me I'm not getting married and I say well the Lord told me you were so I just tend to believe him you know and so I'm, I'm believing that you know I'm also believing for other things in my life that God has spoken to me it's a struggle for me sometimes to think about traveling but the reality is the Lord spoke to me he said you're going to go back to the mission field and you're going to take teams with you and so when the enemy says you're never going to do this you're never going to experience that this is never going to happen in my life I just begin to quote the word of God I begin to feed on the word of God and I begin to feed on what God said. Not what the enemy's trying to tell me, but what God has said. And then I take what God has said, and I begin to speak it out. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not in any way a greater person than you, because if I was greater, I wouldn't be under attack like maybe some of you aren't. Right? I'm just trying to tell you, this is what I've learned to do in my life. And maybe I'm a little farther ahead of you than, than you are right now. Or maybe some of you are farther ahead, because I've learned from you. But Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so if I can teach you how to, how to take a certain step and for, miss this one and miss this, this uh, side road, and, and if I can teach you how to get there faster, that's what I want to do. Okay? So anyway, um, what we see that we're talking about is the Spirit's sustenance. This idea is one that is revealed to us during the Israelites' wilderness wanderings. It was then when the, when the Israelites were hungry that God caused the heavens to bring forth bread with the coming of the dew in the morning. It's in Exodus 16, 13 through 18. It's a lengthy passage, but it'll be up there and we're going to read it. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost, frost on the ground. When the people saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in the tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with, with, with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. 
The Bible says in Deuteronomy 8.3, And God humbled you and let you hunger and then fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make known to you, this is what Jesus quoted, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Why did this dew all of a sudden become manna in the morning? It had had dew every day that they had come out of uh, 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 Egypt. Uh, before they ever came out of Egypt, it had been dew on the ground, and there never had been manna. What made the difference? God said that when you wake up in the morning, there will be bread for you. It was the word of God that provided sustenance for them. There are two things I want to add into the mix of what we're studying here. First, the word must be received before it can be done. I don't believe that. How do you receive the word of God? You got to have faith. You got to believe what it says. Do you have to have a lot of faith? No. You don't have to have a lot of faith. You just have to have a little bitty bitty faith. There was a man that came to Jesus and says, I believe, help my unbelief. That was enough to get things started. He didn't need like super faith or great faith, although that's a good thing to have. But all he needed was enough faith to come to Jesus. How about the leper that came to Jesus and said, well, I know you heal a lot of people, but, you know, if you're willing, in other words, I don't know if you're willing to heal me. He didn't have a lot of faith, but he had enough faith to get to Jesus. And he said, if you're willing, you can heal me. And he said, I'm willing. And he got healed right so first of all yeah the word must be received before it can be done you can't receive a word if you don't know what it says right and you can read it and not apply it to your life and not think to yourself well you might just say that's good literature but the Bible is more than good literature it's actually food and if you read it with the idea that this is supposed to sustain me and give me sustenance then when you read something and it speaks to you you can say that's for me you got to be able to receive it into your life. In John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He first received the word from the Father by means of the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 12, it says, As it is written, What no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. You think Google is good? Mm -mm. Spirit of God is greater, better than any search engine you can download off the Internet. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? By the way, you know, they're coming out with all this AI. Well, AI will know. AI only knows what you program it to know. Right? AI is not better than the Spirit of God. There's nothing wrong with technology, but if you let technology replace the Spirit of God, then all of a sudden now you've moved into idolatry. You can use AI as long as you recognize it's at the service of God, not replacing God. The greatest search engine ever invented is the Spirit of God, and He lives inside of us. So why do I have to go contact AI when I can have the Spirit of God? If I want to find out what the meaning of life is, let me talk to the Spirit of God right for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God 
So God confirms this idea again when he speaks of saying and hearing only what he sees and hears the Father saying and doing. John 5, 19, we quote this a lot. Jesus said, truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own but only what he sees the Father doing. John 12, 49, the Father who sent me, Jesus said, has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. In other words, I say what I hear the Father saying and I do what I see the Father doing. All right? Second, so first of all, you have to receive the Word of God. But second, the Word is not really received unless you act upon it. See, today, only in our society can you go to school, get a degree in uh, business, go and get a graduate degree in business, get an MBA or maybe in a PhD, and then you get hired by a university to teach business, but you've never worked or had a business. You see, only in our society can you do that. But in the Bible, you're not considered an expert on something unless you've done it. You don't consider it to have faith unless you've actually done something with your faith. See, in our society, we think that if I know it, then that's good enough. No, if you know it but haven't done anything with it, then it's not the same thing as having understood or having knowledge or having faith. In the Bible, you say you have faith, but show me your fruit of what you're saying. Show me your life, and I will tell you whether or not you have faith. Well, I go to church. Well, that's a good thing. But every time I'm around you, I hear you cussing, uh, uh, lying, uh, uh, backbiting, you know. So you say you have faith, but your fruit says something different. You must go to church. Why do you say that? Because you used to be a liar, a cheater, a backbiter. Nobody wanted to hang around you, but something's changed in your life. So something's changed in your life. What's changed? Well, God has. See, your life is telling me what you say is true. Am I stepping on toes here? Just curl your toes up so you don't get hurt. You know? John 4, 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, not just hears them, See, sometimes we read it, everyone who hears these words of mine will be like a wise man. No, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had not been founded on the rock. And by the way, that rock is Jesus. And you can't be founded on a rock just by going to church. You get founded on the rock by actually becoming a part of of the Lord. Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ in me. In the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave, who, who loved me and, and gave himself for me. The way you get founded on the rock, Jesus is the rock, is by getting saved and giving your life to him. I think I'm maybe overwhelming you with information this morning. Thank you, Paul. I will believe that you're speaking for the entire congregation and I will continue to preach. I appreciate that. He is the Apostle Paul, after all. <laughs> and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house 
on the sand. And since we are in a culture of equality, we will also say, I'd be like a foolish woman who built her house on the sand. Now I'm getting offended some people, and that's okay, because it's not just about men. This is personal. It's about everybody. Okay? Now, what is sand? Little pieces of rock. Okay. Well, see this, this truth right here? Yeah, that's a good one. I'll take that one, right? Oh, this truth right here? No, that ain't for me. I don't want that one. Yeah. This one? Oh, I can live this one. No, this one right here? Mm-mm, that's for Brother Marty over there. I, I, I'm not, not for me. See, what happens when you build your house upon a sand is you take little truths here, little truths there, here a truth, there a truth, everywhere a truth, truth. But you don't build your house on a rock. See, when you build your house on a rock, you build your house on Jesus and what he says is true. He is the Lord. He that would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. What he says is true. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me. It's very popular today for people to say, well, that's not my truth. Never was your truth. It's his truth. And if you're not living his truth, you're living a false truth. You're not living God's reality. You're living a virtual reality. And listen, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm just trying to get you to understand you're being deceived. The only way to live life is to live founded on the rock, and that rock is Jesus. And living founded on that rock is to understand that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And what he says, go. Not just the things that I like, not just the things that are easy, but what he says, this is how you do life. This is the way I choose to live. And I want to tell you something. You're going to have to die to, to a lot of things in order to live his way. But there are things that I've done to I don't regret. I like the life that I live. I make mistakes, but for the most part, I live a much better life than I would have lived without Jesus. Before I, ha- before I had Jesus, and this before I got saved, you know, I would go out sometimes. I wasn't a bad kid. I really wasn't addicted to anything, but I'd go out with my friends. But I remember waking up in the morning, and my, my sink would be filled with puke. I regret that. I remember uh, waking up in the morning and thinking to myself, how did I get here? I regret that. I don't wake up that way anymore. I don't have regrets like that anymore. I like the life that I live. I like living a holy life. I don't in any way not have fun. I have joy in my life without regrets. If somebody said, well, you're missing out on life, tell me what I'm missing out on. Tell me what I'm missing out on. Am I missing out worrying whether the police are going to come get me, whether the IRS is going to come get me, whether or not somebody's going to find out that I've done something wrong? Is that what I'm missing out on? Whether I've lied on my taxes, whether I've cheated on my body, is that what I'm missing out on? I'm not missing out on anything. I like the life that I live. Well, you know, being a Christian just means you can't have fun. I have more fun than I ever had before I knew Jesus. I think you've been deceived. You're believing what other people have told you. Or you grew up in a church that was traditional and religious and said, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, and you can't do that. And listen, that's not the life that Jesus, Jesus said, it is for freedom that I've come to set you free. Not freedom to sin. Freedom to live for him. Freedom to enjoy the abundant life. Jesus actually said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life. What kind of life? An abundant life. Eternal life, life, and life more abundantly. I don't know about you, but I'm signing up for that. Wait a minute, I already did. 
James 1.22, be, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So we've hopefully come to understand that when we're talking about the spirit's substance, what we want to grasp is that the word must be received and acted upon. It is when the word of God is received and acted upon that the word releases its nourishment and power into our lives and gives us life. It's not up there, but Romans 1.16 says, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto the salvation of those who believe. There's power in the word of God. Well, how do I get that power released into my life? Believe. If you believe that he'll call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved, guess what happens? I believe, I called, and that power is released. How do I know that? Because there are many, many people in this room that have called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and when they did, God saved them, God forgave them, saved them, filled them with the Spirit, and they have become new creations in Christ. Old things passed away. All things have become new. They're not the same as they were before. They're different. God came in and the spark of the divine came and now indwells within us. I don't know why I said it that way. Don't take that the wrong way. I'm just saying the spirit of living God lives inside of us. Amen? And it makes us different. It makes us, changes us. We have been, what we've been describing for you is summed up in the subject of faith. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Did you notice it says faith comes by hearing, not by having heard. I used to go to church. I used to hear the word of God. Well, you know what? That's you having heard. Is it hearing for you today? Is it becoming relevant for you today? It's good that you heard the word of God in the past, but that word of God has to be breathed upon and applied in your today. Yesterday's manna was nourishing, but it's not today's manna. What we feasted on yesterday is not always what's on the menu for today. In faith, we are to daily be in a position to hear what God is saying and do what he says. It is this daily walk with God that is truly life-sustaining to us. The word's sustenance is received by faith. Jesus said to pray, and when you pray, pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. How many of y'all go up to your mom and say, can I have last month's bread? I really like mold. I really like hard bread that, chew, that crunches my teeth. You know, I like, no. I don't know about you, but I like fresh bread. I like it. I, I'm not eating white bread. But I tell you what, my mom wife brings some of that fresh bread home from, uh, we won't say what store it is. Oh, man, that fresh French, French bread, I want some of that. And sometimes I get a little bit tempted, and I go in and try to get it, and all the inside's gone. I'm like, that's the best part. And then yesterday's bread, that's today's bread. That's what I want, today's bread. You go try to get it the next day, it's not as good as it was today. In the margins of some Bibles, under that, that, in, in that uh, verse where it says, give us this day our daily bread, the Greek actually says it can be translated as tomorrow. So if we were to translate this phrase literally, it would be give us today our tomorrow's bread. Since that doesn't make sense to us, we translate it the way it's presented. Give us this day our daily bread. However, I think that an excellent point is brought out if we were to use the interpretation of tomorrow's bread. What if we're to pray for tomorrow's bread? To experience tomorrow's bread, we must, by faith, ask for it today. Here's the thing. You're not going to ask for something that you don't identify with and believe is truly for you. 
what we see then is that to experience tomorrow's bread, we must pray, and what I mean by pray, we must declare it today. That's how we bring it into today. We won't declare and bring tomorrow's bread into today if we don't believe it is for us to receive and to experience. Faith believes and pursues God and God's will and seeks to bring it into today through prayer. I, I tell you in my own life, I'm, I'm going to walk whole. I'm, I'm seeing measures of, of, of wholeness come into my life, but I'm going to be completely whole in my back. He said, well, how long have you been praying? That has nothing to do with it. How long I've been praying has nothing to do with it. It's about persevering and to see the manifestation of what God has promised in my life. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't waver sometimes and I don't get, it doesn't get hard and sometimes you don't struggle with, uh, with doubt and unbelief. But what I've learned is usually doubt and unbelief is not on the inside, it's on the outside. And it's trying to make me believe that I'm walking in doubt and belief, but I'm not. It's just an enemy trying to convince me. Right? It's like, it's like my, my brother, he used to, when he was alive, he, he younger, he'd come over and punch me, punch me, punch me, punch me, punch me. And then one day I'd punch him back and he'd say, Mom, Rick's punching me. That's what the devil does. He comes over and speaks lies, 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 lies. And pretty soon the next thing you know, you're embracing the lie. Not realizing it's not you, it's him. The Bible says about Abraham, he wavered not through unbelief. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that he didn't, he, it doesn't mean to me that he didn't waver by never having unbelief. To me what it means is that he was walking through the land of unbelief. And you know what they speak in the land of unbelief? Unbelief. They have loudspeakers all the time. You ain't going to make it. You ain't going to get it. God don't like you. He's not going to do it for you. He'll do it for everybody else, but he don't. You might as well just quit. You might as well not believe anymore. He's walking through the land of unbelief. And why don't you just go home? Why don't you just give up on that? That's a pipe dream. It's never going to happen, whatever the case may be. But the Bible doesn't say that Abraham quit. He said he wavered not. Even while he was walking through the midst of all of this, he heard it. It wasn't like he didn't hear it. It wasn't like it wasn't there. He just decided that he was going to focus not on the unbelief, but he was going to focus on the promise. But he grew strong in faith. I know I'm hearing all this, but God said if I walk the land... It's going to become mine. God told me that this time next year, I'm going to have Isaac. I choose to believe God. It's hard sometimes. It's difficult because all I ever hear is, man, this and this. I, you know, why don't you just go ahead and quit? Just go ahead and do the drugs. Just go ahead and do this. You know you're not going to be. And you, no, that's not what God said. I choose to believe what God said. And I'm going to quote what God said. And I'm going to act on what God said. And I'm going to get victory because the Bible says if I submit myself to God and resist the devil, at some point he's going to flee from me. One day, Isaac's going to be running around here. And I'm never going to look back. Can you real quickly just tell them there's some people here that haven't heard your testimony real quick? Because this is Isaac running around here but see you don't understand what it was like before Isaac came I need this on run Jimmy run you know God's faithful man I just my, my heart's leaping when he's speaking this because it's such a truth to me all the while that I sat in a wheelchair was confined to one for two years unable to stand 
and then another two years of recovering as far as learning how to walk and never being completely whole but God. But in the midst of that, I never, honestly, I can relate to Abraham. I never wavered in my faith that God was going to help me out of that thing. Never once did I waver. I never doubted. I never feared. I did not. And you know, one of the reasons is because of that man right there, because he was constantly speaking faith to me. Faith, 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 faith. The Word of God is true. The Word, the Word. That was my nourishment that quickened faith in both of our hearts. Right, Bobby? It's the nourishment of the Word. You can't neglect the Word of God. The Word of God is life. That is your lifeline. He is your lifeline. He is the Word. He was the Word made flesh. And when He speaks, I'm telling you, you can speak it. And it's just as powerful when you speak the Word of God as when He spoke it into existence. It's the Word and it's alive. It's alive. And it brings life to every situation. Don't waver. Don't quit. I stand here today as a testimony of God's faithfulness when you just keep standing. When you've done everything you know to do, just keep standing. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. God's going to do what His Word says He's going to do. Amen. Amen. How about Miss Elizabeth? Real quickly, come and tell them your story. See, there are miracles in the house you don't know. The truncated version. Um, hi. Um, there's so many aspects to my testimony. Um, first, not figuring out what I had for a long time, and then getting a diagnosis, and then thinking it was a good thing to get a diagnosis after a while. But um, whenever you get diagnosed uh, with something, it usually is like five or six things you know, uh, side effects and medications. And um, I was diagnosed with narcolepsy, with cataplexy, and um, not a lot of people have heard of that. And even though I was a nurse, I had no clue that I had that. <laughs> um, so I couldn't even figure it out for myself to help myself. And I put all my trust in God and um, the medicine stopped working. <laughs> and it was once helping me and um, it just got worse and worse and I said, I'm gonna stop taking it, and um, I was not supposed to be able to sleep for a month after stopping it, but that night I slept through the night, and I woke up, and I knew I had been healed. Uh, yes, um, I started a school ministry that is still going on on Thursdays, and there was a healing um, book and it had everything the Bible says about healing. And even though I had heard most of it growing up in church, it was like a lot of familiar things I'd heard over and over, maybe a thousand times. I realized I had faith that God could heal any one of y'all, but not for myself. And I started actually believing it for myself. And then that's when things changed because I put my whole trust in him, not anything else. And um, that morning I woke up, I, I felt like I was healed because I didn't even know what normal was until that morning. I realized I didn't even know what being rested was, even with medicine. I never woke up rested. I never woke up 
fully alert. And that was the first time I was like, wow, like, is this what people feel like when they wake up? And I, th I give God the glory for that. Amen. I tell you what, God is good. See, if you don't know the past, you don't know what you're seeing. You don't know why this is happening. God's word is true and it's sustenance. It, it has power in it. So in order to conclude in this series, we're focusing on the idea that Jesus is bringing new wine into the church. And this new wine is not something new as in the sense of never being seen before, but it's new in the sense that it's a moving of his spirit in and among us that will require change in us in order to be able to contain it. We've looked at so far the importance of the spiritual realm and what the spirit is saying. Today we tackle the subject of the spirit's sustenance. We looked at the idea that when the spirit of, when, what the spirit of God is revealing to us is what we need to be receiving and eating, and it's in the eating and digesting of his word to us as his people that we find life and nourishment and power for the life of destiny he has prepared for us. To receive the sustenance that's contained in this word, we must receive it to ourselves. We must believe it, and then finally we must act on it. This acting on the word by faith is what brings the manifestation of the word into our lives. It is then that we can experience what the Lord shared with us in John 4, 34, when he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So I don't know.